Hello. Oh, oh. <laughs> there it is. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Father Peter Muzzet, and this is the podcast, in case you have not actually yet figured out what we do. Uh, <laughs> it is. Is it still a podcast if you're just listening it from your desktop, from your from your 1986 um, Dell? Dude. Is it still a podcast if it's not actually on a pod? A, a pod of some sort? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, dude. If you're just on the website and you're just like clicking it on your 89... <laughs> um, dude, what, well, I'm trying to think of what we had when I was a little kid. An Amiga? In, no, it was a... TRS-81? <laughs> I don't know anything you're saying. <laughs> we didn't get a computer till I was like in college, <laughs> which is pretty late in the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm not dating myself. Real to real? Much. No, Father Peter. Anyway, it's Palm Sunday. That's the point. It's a Palm Sunday. It's and a podcast. It's it a, is a podcast, no matter how you're listening to welcome it. Welcome to our uh, computerized, digitized audio broadcast of the Word on the Hill. Brought to you by the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought at the University of Colorado at Boulder at the St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Center. And so you're listening to us wherever you are, but you're actively a part of this ministry here. And I think there's something beautiful about that. It was like the first time that I ever went to Rome and I visited St. Peter's Basilica. And it was this idea that, oh, I'm at my home parish. Like there actually is, the church is not this sort of big amorphous thing. I'm at my home parish right now here Mm, in the Vatican because there is a home parish and there is a home base. Whether you've been to St. Peter's or not, you actually still have a home church that you were connected to. And that was really beautiful to me. So anyway, that's my soapbox for the day. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I I have to say that I just got back from a trip to Ireland. Ireland. Boy, are my arms tired. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. I have got to say that Ireland just made me realize a lot of things. What's the crack? What's the crack? Well, this podcast is a crack. I'll tell you, there's a lot of crack in this podcast. <laughs> if you didn't know, uh, in, in Ireland, the word crack means fun. <laughs> and it's not spelled like it's spelled here. C-R-A-I-G. It's like Craig. 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 So what's the crack? But I'll tell you, this podcast is the crack. And as I was as I was like exhausted, dragging my my weakened body to get dinner... And I was eating some. Be- By the way, Irish food is my favorite in the whole universe. I think that I'm Irish in my core because corned the beef food and was- cabbage, dude. It was just like it was just heavy, wonderful meat and potatoes. Every meal haggis? was just amazing. And, Did you have any haggis? And oh so, no, that's Scottish. So I'm sorry, I, you guys. as I was sitting there, um, <laughs> you're just gonna plow right. There, I'm just gonna plow right there. I'm not it's acknowledging fine, anything that you say. All right, and uh, and I'm sitting there, and this gal, she she's like talking to me, and she. She's like, gosh, so where are you guys from? And I'm like, Boulder, Colorado. And like, she kind of takes a second and she looks at me and she's like, this may be from like far left field. She's like, are you, are you? No. From the lanky guy? No. And I was like, ah. I was like, I was like, dude, of course, I'm halfway across the world in Ireland. And was she Irish? No, she was an American. Was she on the mission trip? No. She was just some rando? She's just a rando. She was at the campus ministry that we were going to wow. do evangelization at in, in the University of Galway. And That's so, cool. So Madeline wants to give a shout out to Vicky and Anthony Joyce, who just got engaged in Akron. 
And like, that's the best. It was, it's just awesome. But being out in Ireland, what I realized is like, dude, the campus ministry at St. Thomas Aquinas is on fire, mm. on fire. And the people who are like taking 16 of our students out into the universe, man, it was the best. So mm, um, that's cool. So you guys, thanks for tuning in today. Mm. We are Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday. We are we are not Palm Sunday, but it is Palm Sunday liturgically. <laughs> we are Palm. I do not embody Palm Sunday. I mean, you kind of do. I don't. I mean, I you're trying. All right. So here's the question, Father Peter: Are we talking about the gospel at the procession, or are we just jumping into the first reading? Dude, let's just um. um we got We got We got What are we gonna do? Well, let's let's include the. There's a lot we could say about that first. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't study it for this podcast. I'm just gonna be Ooh. honest. Did you study it? Well, I speak about this a lot. Okay, I, and this is actually what kind of, in large part, what I want to talk about at our thing on Saturday with Catholic Link, our online webinar. Okay, so let's not so talk about it should, today. So you guys have to tune in on Saturday if you to want our to live know. webinar. About Matthew twenty one one through eleven, which is which is just the entrance, the narrative of the entrance into Jerusalem. So Jesus has in, the donkeys, people are flowing, throwing palm branches, they're laying down garments, you know the whole thing, shouting hosanna, all that stuff. Donkey time, donkey time with the lanky guys. And then where? So then our first reading is Isaiah. Oh, this feels weird. All right, well it's, it's good. It's a teaser. It's, it's a, a teaser. teaser. I know, mean. dude. That's weird. I know. It feels hard not to go into it. Ooh. Isaiah 50, 4 Ooh. through 7. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to throw up. Yeah, dude. It, Isaiah 50, 1 through 7. It's okay. Seven. It's okay. Uh, our responsorial psalm is Psalm 22, verses 8 through 9, 17 through 18, 19 through 20, and 23 through 24. Hey, if you're going to throw up, throw up in this. <laughs> if you're going to hurl, hurl in this. And that so, Bill, is that Bill and Ted? No. Dump, no. Hold on. Wayne's World, Wayne's World, Wayne's, Wayne's World. World. Sorry, you. I knew it was Wayne's World. Second reading is Philippians 2, 6 through 11. The canonic hymn in our gospel is <laughs> Matthew 26, 14, all the way through Matthew 27, 66. Dude. I, it's I, a beast. It, like, dude, this this got real up in here. What part are you going to play on Sunday? Um, I'm going to play the part of Jesus. Well, that's a good part for you to play because you'll be you'll be you're not in persona Christi in the first in the gospel reading, only yeah, yeah. on only on the altar. I mean, like yeah, technically, yeah. technically speaking, Technic- like like when we're getting on to the theology, yeah, I'm yeah, all yeah, about yeah. it. All right. Um. Well, Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah. <laughs> a funny thing happened on the way to Isaiah. Isaiah <laughs> is um. We're looking at the third of the four. Are there four of them? Now I just got thrown off. We're looking at one of what are called the servant songs, right? The four. This is the third of the four servant songs, right? We've talked about the servant songs before. You're looking at me like you don't have a clue what I'm talking no, about. No, no, I know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, sorry. I'm just, just annoyed not, not sure I'm, where you're going. Oh, I'm just putting us in context. Um, the servant songs. The servant songs, I, I, I don't... Have we really talked about what they are? Just in a nutshell, very quickly, Isaiah, it, it really has a lot to do with who and when Isaiah is writing and writing to. So, of course, Isaiah, we've talked about Isaiah, right? Good news, bad news. Bad news is you've broken the covenant, you've disobeyed God, you've worshipped idols, you've been horrible, horrible people. <laughs> so you're going to be punished because of that. But after your punishment, God's going to restore you and build you back up, and it's going to be greater than ever before, right? Right. So there's hope on the horizon. It's the premise, it's the principle, the theolo- theological principle that God only punishes for the sake of restoration and right. building back up, which is what any good parent does when they punish, right? Right. Um, but the servant, so showing up kind of toward the tail end of Isaiah in this imagery of what it'll look like when God restores us, 
uh, there's the servant who keeps showing up. And it's sort of sort of unclear in the text exactly who the servant is. Of course, in the Christian understanding, we look back and we're like, oh, well, it's, Je- there, it's talking about Jesus. But, you know, from the first person perspective at the time, that, that's hard to wrap your head around. But what they know, or at least what seems clear, is that the servant seems to be... Um, the servant seems to be Israel in its ideal form. Israel as Israel was supposed to be. And what was Israel supposed to be? Israel is supposed to be a kingdom of priests, right? A nation which was supposed to be the light to the world and the salt of the earth. So the servant embodies that. And, and looking at it Christologically and looking back through the eyes of Christ or through the lens of Christ shows that Jesus really does, Jesus is faithful precisely where Israel is unfaithful. He is what we could never be, what we always aspired to be, what we were called to be, but just couldn't quite do. Which those themes are going to be really played out in our gospel today. They are. And, mean, and that's because it's the Exodus. It's, it's like it, we start with the whole thing in the Old Testament in a very real way. The infidelities oh, yeah. um, are of God's majestic work and those failures and lived out in the Exodus. Like and 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 like, I mean, it goes deeper than that, of course. Yeah, yeah. So far, why, I mean, why you got to think why why the Exodus? Why is it such a pinnacle moment? And I, I think it's freedom pinnacle. from slavery. It's freedom from slavery. It's a huge, big time sin. It's all those things. But I think at the at the heart of the matter, I don't know what the ancient rabbis would say about this. I mean, I do, but I'm going to say time something else. Time to get down to the heart of the matter. I think for me, the reason this is very personal. The reason I think the Exodus is such a pinnacle moment in salvation history is not because of all these big events that happen, but because it's literally the first time God reveals himself as a father. Ooh. And it's the first time he call, he's revealed his father because it's the first time he calls Israel his firstborn son. Oh. And it's this idea that God has obviously been leading his people, has been providing for them, has been building them up from the time of Abraham, even before that, Noah, Adam, all, all the rest of this. But it's in the Exodus where they've been taken into slavery, where things are going bad, where you get big Papa God saying, hey, you're messing with my son. Mm. And that's not going to stand. And it's the first time you see God using that language. This is my son. How dare you? And he's speaking not just to Pharaoh and not just to Egypt. He's speaking to sin. How dare you take my son? And that's the first time that's revealed. But Exodus is less about this God who wants to show up the, the Egyptians and, and curse Pharaoh and do all these crazy things than he is a defensive father who sees his son getting picked on. And I kind of like viewing it that way. Mm. The irony of this, of course, and how this ties into what we're talking about today, is that in the servant songs from Isaiah, um, this servant takes on the role of being picked on, of being abused, of being beaten down, just like Israel was. And so it's not just that he's Israel in his ideal form, but he takes on all of Israel, both the good and the bad, and he is faithful in it. And so what we, we get in the reading this week, it actually mirrors our psalm. So we can talk about the two of them in conjunction. But what it says is, The Lord has given me a well-trained tongue that I may know how to speak to the weary. Who's the weary? The weary are Israel, who's been suffering under the weight of persecution and slavery from before the time of Egypt, all the way into the time of Jesus, for centuries, for thousands of years. From sin. From sin, exactly right. So what does he do? He's going to speak a word that will rouse them. Morning after morning, he opens my ears that I may hear. My God, what makes this servant so faithful is that he he has ears that can hear the voice of God. He listens 
to what God wants. And you see that Jesus doing this, you know, like in the agony in the garden. Father, you know, would this cup could pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. I want to listen for what you want, which is what Israel was always supposed to do. Um, I've not, I've not uh, rebelled. I've not turned my back. I have given my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pluck my beard, my face. I did not shield from buffets and spitting. Now that's all going to play itself out in the passion story when Jesus will be beaten and spit upon and all these things. But again, what this is saying is it's not just this guy named Jesus in the first century in Palestine who happens to be getting spit on beaten. It's saying, no, no, no. Israel and more generally humanity has been getting its beard plucked and spit upon and yelled at by sin and by the evil one from the beginning of time. And that's what the Lord is going to take and sit there and walk through it and let the evil one spit on him and say, you're not going to beat me and you will not defeat me and I'm taking my son with me. And that's what these servant songs are, are getting at, which again, you see Jesus, when you see Jesus actually doing it, the idea is you should look back to the story of salvation history and the prophecies of Isaiah and say, oh man, this is what this was all about. Which is, I think, what something like Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who yeah. we meet in this gospel, he gets it and he's like, holy cow, this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah. Anyway, that's my, that's my thought on the psalm. Dude. Uh, mean, not on the uh, psalm, uh, on the uh, first reading. Which leads us to the psalm. Dude, the I, mean, I just got to say, man, that's a really powerful, beautiful reading thing. It's kind of cool. That, that actually like lit me up. Well, you got me going because of the Exodus. I don't even know how we got on the Exodus. I got you on the Exodus. You got me on the Exodus, which <laughs> is good. Psalm 22. Here's what I want to say about Psalm 22. There's a lot we could say. Psalm I mean, 20, I mean this, this is the classic, uh, you know, G- Jesus, you know, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross, which is something that... Like is is I think it, it done in a couple of different methodologies or a couple of different manners. Yeah. Like one, it's like absolutely. There's a certain sense in that Jesus took on absolutely everything within the passion. Yes. Including the the difficulty of feeling abandoned by God. The feeling abandoned by God. Oh, this is a very important clarification. It's because because the feeling, feeling is, and appearing. Abandoned by God. That's an important distinction as well. Absolutely. But the the psalm goes on. Yeah, Jesus. Here's the thing. There's different theological schools of thought on this. But I am very firmly of the opinion that Jesus was not abandoned by God. And Jesus never falls into despair. No. Of thinking he's been abandoned. Because to me, that breaks apart the whole theology of the Trinity. If Jesus can somehow be cut off from God the Father, as he appears to be, as he looks like he is on the cross, then what is the Trinity? The Trinity has lost its unity, and that doesn't work for me. No, no, it doesn't work for me either. But that, but that Jesus, though free from sin, we'll get into the canonic hymn in just yeah, a yeah, second. Yeah. Is that the reality is, is that he took everything onto himself. Right. He suffered all that humanity could possibly suffer. Yes, and but 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 in truth, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, and it's, in faithfulness, in in the ability of like. Yeah, bring it on. That's well. That's what I mean. I mean, like, if if you if you think about it, normally when things go bad for me, my trust in God goes down. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, things yeah. go good for me, then my trust in God goes up. But yeah. the reality should actually be inverted. Yeah. Well, I mean, we <laughs> not that stri- when stri- things stri- go good, your trust in God should go down. Yeah, that's what I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's make a distinction. Sorry, <laughs> listening audience, for such an absurd poetic rhetorical mm. device that mm. was used incorrectly. That's all right. 
But yeah, I, I should trust God more when it's hard. Yeah, I almost hear Jesus when he says this, and this is one of the last things he says on the cross. When he says, my God, and my God, why have you abandoned me? It's, and you've just actually just now given me this insight. What he's doing is, just like the servant, he's taking on what we say. Right. He is giving voice to our deepest fear. Yes. Right? Which is not just, yeah, I mean, that's the fear. Gosh, what if God abandons me? What, what, what if, if I'm left alone? What if I put myself all the way out there? Yeah. All the way. And I'm let down. And I'm let down. Yeah, that is a deep fear, which he is giving voice to right. on our behalf. Right. But he knows the truth. And, and he knows that's not what's going to happen. Which, Scott, you're the one who introduced me to the fact that he could actually be reciting psalms within his heart and crying out for moments in this. And that's oh, I where, believe that. And that's why if, if you look at Psalm 22... We can because see because in Mark is it Mark's Gospel or Luke? He actually says a different Psalm at the end of it as he breathe, as he's about to breathe his last. And so people sometimes what what, what is he what Psalm does he pray in the other one? I forget. But sometimes people I think it's Psalm sixty nine. But people say, well, look, there's a contradiction in the Gospels. And in Matthew he prays Psalm twenty two at the end of his life. And in Mark he prays this Psalm. But he hung on the cross for three stinking hours. He probably had time. He probably spent those three hours praying through the Psalms because he and probably had them memorized. Them. Absolutely, he did. So there's no uh, there's no problem there for me. But what Jesus is doing, and this is a common rabbinic method, rabbis would often, as a teaching method, recite the first line of something as a way of invoking the rest. So so like you know, I always give the example. If I said, "May the force be with you," you would say, "And with your spirit." No, <laughs> you might. And and but but that even that that makes kind of a point, right? It's evoking two things. It's evoking "May the force be with you." Most of us think of Star Wars, and so saying one little line conjures up a whole film and a whole series of films in our minds and images and Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. There's all sorts of things that are called to mind just by me saying that one line. And not only that, we also have this joke about the mass and, and with your spirit, which is also about. So in one line, depending on how we're formed, it can evoke a lot of stuff, right? Right. These are a people who are biblically informed, and that's just a fact. So when Jesus prays the first line of this psalm, he is evoking the rest of it in people's minds. And I guarantee you that would have worked, just like it, it as much as it does when I say to all of you, may the force be with you. Right. It's the same kind of thing, because they didn't have movies or, or TV shows. They had the scriptures, and that's what they thought about and talked about and, and read on Friday nights in front of the fire. Absolutely. And and that's where it's cool that we start, yes, my God, my God, how why have you forsaken me? Because that's but, how it feels. But where do we end up yeah. is the last strophe of the psalm. Yeah. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, give glory to him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, that it, 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 sure, we begin here, but he is ultimately proclaiming the praise of God. It's, he's also retelling the story of salvation history because there's this people who sinned and it seems like God has abandoned them because of that. And they've fallen prey to, to exile and slavery and everything else. But in fact, God's going to glorify Israel to the ends of the earth and the nations. And I challenge you guys to, it, it, we get a lot of it at Mass this Sunday, but I challenge you to go back. Here's your homework assignment, lanky guys, listeners. Read. Not, don't just read. Pray over Psalm 22. Because the other thing that Jesus is doing, I mean, this is why I am. You, you have to be convinced this is utterly purposeful. 
If you read through Psalm 22, it's actually describing the events that are taking place as Jesus is going through his passion. It's so prophetic it's, that it's freak, it'll freak you out. Because you're like, oh yeah, they did divide his garments, and they did strike him with these things, and, and they did spit a, upon him, and, and they did all these things. And it, how many hundreds of years? A thousand years? How, how, the how psalm long? was written? Yeah, yeah. yeah hundreds, hundreds of years. something. Hundreds of years. years. Like, dude, I'll tell you, if somebody wrote something today, a hundred years ago, about how bad it would get, I mean, like... Then I mean we're on that day. Yeah, we're struck. I mean, we're struck about Aldous Huxley's, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and like the these uh, turn of the century writers who are predicting like the reality of that we face today, yeah. and we're like, look, they were prophets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is hundreds of years, and here Jesus yes. is saying, "I'm living this out." That's today, another today. I'm living this out today in front of all of you, which is like super powerful. He says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And it elicits. Like the fact that this is in the plan of God. Exactly right. He's actually stabilizing those who could hear. If you had ears to hear, you would hear. Which at the end of the day, what Jesus is showing is, although it looks a certain way as you see this man hanging on a cross in agony, what he's trying to show you is, I am in complete control. Right. I control this situation and I choose to go to my death. I give it freely. I am not a victim to this. I give myself freely. That's what he's trying to show in this. Which, by the way, that, by the by, the 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 freedom of Jesus's uh, passion mm. has transformed it in my life into gift mm. rather than shame. Because, like, mm. I, I feel like like there, there's this movement in the spirit that can happen in relationship, and you say, "Look what your sins did to God." And, you know, sometimes that's actually yeah, the right thing. Yeah. And you sometimes you're like, yeah, sure. You know what? Somebody else suffered because I chose this thing. Sure. Sometimes that's Which is not right. untrue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and sometimes I actually need to be able to be reminded of that. But 98% of the time, the truth is, is that um, I actually need to know that I'm loved yeah. and that the compassion of God is mine yeah. and that, that he is uh, an advocate for me. And that... That, to me, is actually way more valuable than somebody trying to shame me into behavior control. Yeah, which is never how Jesus does it. He doesn't try to shame people into behavior. He, and this is Paul's whole pedagogy in his letters. Paul never says, hey, don't sin because you might burn in hell if you do. <laughs> he says, don't sin because it's not who you are. You've been given a new identity because of what Jesus Christ freely did. Yeah. So when you sin, you're lying about yourself. That's why you shouldn't do it, not because of shame, not because of, oh my gosh, I might get in really big trouble if I do it, but because you're somebody else now, which is a much different way to, it's not shame-based. Dude, are, know, you trying to, good. are you trying to shame-base my inner child? Yeah, pretty much. Which takes us to Philippians, speaking <laughs> of shame-based inner children. Uh, no, the famous kenotic hymn. Kenosis, baby. What does kenosis mean, Father? Self-emptying love. Ooh. Tell me more. Um, you know, the canonic hymn. The, well, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself. Kenosis. Emptied himself. Yeah. So like um, taking the form of a slave, coming in hu- human likeness. So so when we say the canonic hymn, it's emptying. It's it's this, it's this, um, it's the utter total outpouring, the, the, the full spending of the entirety of oneself. Can I ask you a grammar nerd question? But of course. What is the most important line in this, or sorry, what is the most important word in this passage? Grasped. No. I guess this is subjective. I guess this is Equality. my Equality? No. Um, 
Jesus. No, <laughs> no. I mean, uh, Jesus is pretty fundamental. Like this. No, we we can just, we don't have. You're just gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> um, did it, is it is it that how they do it in school? I think so. They just go. They just rattle off things. They're like, I don't know what this is, so I will just keep saying words until you say yes. Roman Catholic Gentiles eat pork chops. I I want to get a different translation. Roman Catholic Gentiles eat pork, pork chops. chops. That's that? the order of the um uh the books in the New Testament. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So verse nine. So here in the reading, you're going to hear at mass from the new American Bible. It says, because of this, but in the, the revised standard version, which I like, it says, therefore the, because of this or the word therefore is the most important line in this entire passage. It's literally the hinge. Do you know what's funny is, is I don't know why, but my, um, symbolic logic just came back to me and I see the three triangular dots. And that's the that's that's what I was thinking in my head. I had that image. We we just connected on a on a, like a psychic level, dude. On a symbolic logic Ooh. level, that's totally wild. I wonder if anybody else had that. I, I send us an email if you have if if you have symbolic logic in your head at this moment. Yep. Um. Anyway, the, the therefore. So I always had a I had a grammar a, a teacher a grammar teacher that said whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask what is it. Therefore, ah, ah, you see that? Aha. But the therefore is the key, or because of this in the in the NAB reading. It, it's literally the hinge. So you have the first half, Jesus didn't deem equality with God something to grasp. That doesn't mean he didn't understand it. I can't grasp what it means to be God. No, it means he didn't grasp at it or grab at it or exploit, I think exploit, is a better translation. Yep. Oh, I'm God, so I'm going to beat it over your heads. No, he doesn't do that. Rather... He empties himself. He takes the form of slave, human in appearance. He was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. The Philippians, by the way, oh, there's there's a lot we could talk about here. The Philippians, the context really does matter here. The Philippian, Philippi was by and large a retirement community for the Roman military, which actually matters greatly because yeah, it's, it's a big city, but... There was he, a huge. Is it, isn't he calling upon their patriotism? He's calling and, upon because he talks about citizenship in this and, letter more than the rest, and then calls upon that same expression in piety to Absolutely. be filial. So, so it's taking patriotism <clears throat> into piety. Yeah, well, patriotism. He's he's showing that their patriotism is a little bit misguided. That you need to be patriotic toward a different kingdom than Rome. Rome's, that's fine. You've served Rome. You've done a lot of good toward Rome, but your citizenship is actually someplace else because what they're doing in Philippi, it's retired military members reaping the benefits of their citizenship and their military service and all these things. So there, there is a real patriotism that Paul's saying, but it's a little bit wrongheaded. But the fact that he says to those people, he humbled himself to death, death on a cross. I mean, what is the cross? The cross is the device used by the Roman government to shame and humiliate not just criminals, not just murderers, but people who dare to commit treason against the empire of Rome. Right. It's a it's a weapon of shame and embarrassment and humiliation and death toward those guilty of treason. So try telling someone who have spent their life fighting for this military and this citizenship and that kingdom that they're supposed to worship someone who died a humiliating death of someone who is guilty of treason against that empire. Which if they're ex-military. That's a big deal. Which if they're ex-military, then they themselves would have had crucified. Probably done it. Absolutely. They w- would have had, uh, and uh, they, if not done it directly, they would have been complicit in this Absolutely. expression. So the, they're saying like, hold on, you mean we got to do what? Yeah, absolutely. But then you get the there. So so basically, Paul has taken them as low as you can possibly go. 
I mean, how low can you go to this? And then you get the therefore. But because of that, that's the hinge. Because of that degree of emptying, what does God do? Well, in the Greek, it says God super exalted him. So the therefore, the, what it's doing grammatically is saying because of that sheer amount of self-emptying, it is the act of self-emptying that is the cause of the super exaltation. That is how he's super exalted. So that God bestows on him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, those in the heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reason that happens, the means through which that takes place, is through the utter and humiliating self-emptying that he performs. Which is why it's just a fascinating hymn, because if you're, if you're really listening to this, imagine you're, you're hearing this for the first time, and you're coming from a culture from which this would be antithetical to everything you know and believe about the world, and you're asked to do this and follow a God who did this, that's totally shocking. And I think what we should really be floored by is the faith of the people who actually abide by this and say, yeah, I am going to worship a God who was guilty and com- committed, or convicted rather of the most horrible, humiliating, worst thing I could possibly imagine but that God used that to super exalt him so that my tongue confesses and my knee bends to him. Yeah. That's pretty profound. And so what Paul is doing is not just saying, hey, look at what Jesus did. He's actually built into this, asking the Philippians to do the same. By worshiping a God who did this, you yourselves have to self-empty. You have to humiliate yourself to worship a God who did this, quite frankly. You have to empty yourself in order to actually enter into this. You cannot be a Christian without giving up something. Unless you take up your cross daily, you cannot be my disciple. Yeah. That, and Paul is actually just returning to that. Yeah. Dude, that's powerful. I, I yeah. was I was watching The Voice. <laughs> 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 and, and, and right now, one of my favorites on the on the show is this guy, Chris. Okay. And Chris comes out, and the dude is like, singing his heart out and pouring himself out and jumping up and down and like kind of like like becoming unhinged like like actually going to the very depths of his soul to try to express something he's standing on his tippy toes and like throwing himself around and to to express something and it's humiliating, but it's precisely out of that supreme humiliation of like expressing the deepest parts of him that everybody's like, this guy could win this. This guy, wow. this guy, this guy is a winner. I mean, I don't know. It's it, it, I'm just trying to look. For, I always am trying to look for an analog. Yeah, yeah. It was just saying like, where is this actually really being expressed? I, I think about the saints. Like you think about Padre Pio, where like the absolute humiliation in mm. his heart that he experienced with God super exalting him mm. out of taking him to this, his own sufferings out of yeah. his stigmata. Like yeah. you, you think about St. John Vianney, this guy who um, would, turned out to be the patron saint of priests mm. was not even granted full faculties so that he could hear confessions because they thought he was stupid. And he turns out to be the greatest confessor of all time, really. I mean, like this yeah. guy was a confessor, like bar none. And like, I don't know. It's just like it's just wild. The the saint, the stories of the saints, the stories are like are just riddled with like those who are actually serious about being totally emptied out to actually imitate the kenosis of Christ experience a super exaltation. I wonder, and this is all speculative. I wonder if the fact that he was not permitted faculty is, and everybody thought he was dumb actually made St. Gianviani a better confessor. 
If again, I mean, what mm. Paul is saying is, no, the humility is the means to the exaltation. Mm. What if the humility that those saints faced actually made them better, made them the saints that they are? I mean, isn't that what we kind of have to hope for? That we have a God that's not just going to wipe away all the pain, but he's going to use the pain and glorify it mm. and transform us through it? Absolutely. That's kind of beautiful. It is. Th- that, my dad has a saying for this. He says, if this is the training, what's the mission? Oh, man. That's daunting. <laughs> it's just daunting. Cause it is. Because, dude, as soon as I start to suffer, I'm like a whiny pants musset, dude. And like, <laughs> I'm just, I, and like, and, and I preached last night and I was saying to people, I, I made this, I made this proposal. I said, what if complaining is a dismissal of the meaning of our sufferings? Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> I know. Isn't it brutal? Because, that's brutal. because in the midst of it, it's like, I actually don't see that I could offer myself <sighs> freely, even if something feels imposed upon me. Yeah. That's hard. Which leads us to the gospel. Yo, yo, yo. Okay, so I have a, I have one very quick insight on the gospel. Okay, there you go for it. Um, uh, it's really long. That is a good insight. And and you also like there's this there's a part of you that it's hard to remain present for the entirety of the reading. And by present, you mean standing. I mean standing <sighs> and scared. actually thinking about the words and because it's long and emoting with those places that are emoting and like. You, there's almost this numbness th- uh, and and it's almost an existential experience to go through it yeah so that you yourself are actually starting to experience yeah. with Christ his own passion yeah i think that's true i mean i think that, that that's actually like kind of one of the wild things it's like you're there with him it is yeah I... it's an overture it's an overture for all of holy week we're gonna, yeah, it is. It's, it, that's it's, exactly it's right. It's kind of like how in Genesis we do the full seven days of creation and then we refocus in on the on the creation of man and woman and the fall of Adam and Eve. It's a synoptic resumptive technique. Did you just throw, throw out synoptic resumptive? You better believe it. Boom! Synoptic resumptive. In your face, all you biblical scholarships. Here's the thing. I mean, what, what do you say? This is, I, I like, this is my I like, struggle. I like saying things that are not quite sensible. Not quite grammatically accurate. When, when, <laughs> exactly. When, when you say things, you're like, synoptic presumptive. You know, th- that's the best it is. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I like the irony of with it great, all. With great. Response to Trilatrix. Response to Trilatrix. so i mean my struggle has just been i mean yeah this is really long so in the context of the podcast i mean what what do we say about what do you you say about this and so i was trying to think of okay we can't take another half an hour and go through all of this because it's long and it's familiar to us so the question i kept coming back to is why does it end where it ends Hmm. the question i i i was thinking about the money what money? Which the, money? Judas's money, money, money. Judas's thirty Judas's silver money. piece. Got it. And, and it led me to a really weird place. Okay. Do you know what the? Do you know what thirty shekels is also spent on? Um, I mean, I could guess, but give me a guess. No, it's Come inappropriate. On. Come on. Okay, um, dude. It turns out to be the price. Um, Exodus twenty-one thirty-two. It's the uh, it's the price of a gourd slave by an ox. A slave who has been gored by an ox, not a slave who is a gourd. No, a go- a, like, not a gourd. A lot of veggie tales. Okay. No, no, it's a, isn't that the weirdest thing that you've heard in a while? Why do you have to pay for a gourd slave? Like, do you have to pay because you have gored him, or 
Like, well, I'll give the, you a really good deal on this one because he's already been gored. Yeah, it's, it's a good what? deal on he's, a gored slave. Oh, my gosh. There's well, all, there's all these like really that's weird, weird. There's all these weird rules about um like an ox who's who's gored somebody, and then the second the second time the ox has gored them, and then if the flagrant misuse, and then the different types of people who have been gored by that animal, and then the responsibility, like it's this weird moment of law. But but I don't know. Like the one insight that I have about it is like is like. There, I don't know. I mean, it's all weird and speculative. Isn't it just I don't, the price of a slave? Uh, I mean, I I don't. I mean, it, it could be, but I ended up there, and I just <laughs> thought, like, I just couldn't couldn't go on because I was good. I was like Jesus was pierced in his side, yeah, yeah. and that like, yeah, yeah. and that he he like was essentially like one who is like he fully entered into the slavery that yeah. humanity exists in. Yeah, like, and yeah, and the liber and like and so then he, he was I don't know I don't yeah know. no that's good it's a weird detail to draw so I like that you thought about how it ended what were you thinking well two things um, number one why does it end where it does it's just sort of it's a strange weird just like okay then so the the chief priests went to this the the uh, pilot and he's like hey we need to guard this tomb he's like okay here's a guard and they're like and then they set the guard. The end. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a strange sort of, sort of, um, and not, it's not, it's just a weird ending. And you're like, uh, okay, so there's the word a of the Lord. The word of the Lord. And I mean, granted, it, it ends there because that's where chapter 26 ends or 27 ends. So I mean, it's a chapter break. I, I get it. But then they raise the question why does Matthew stop there? Like, why is that the last thing that you have ringing in your head on? Well, I guess this is Saturday, right? The Passion of Jesus. Yeah. Dude, you know what's really funny and what's glaring? What? Is the burial is omitted. The what? Burial. I mean, like... Is not in it? Is it not? I mean, Joseph of Arimathea was the other thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah, like... like, So it it talks about the burial, but I guess it doesn't... Make it explicit. Yeah, no, it, it does. It does? So he so when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was himself a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate. He asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate ordered it to be handed over. Taking the body, Joseph wrapped it in a clean linen. He laid it in a new tomb that had been hewed in the rock. And then he rolled a huge stone over the entrance to the tomb and departed. So what I'm so what you're saying to me <laughs> is that I'm dead wrong. No, I, well yeah. Well you know okay so the the part that really <laughs> that the detail. Is that he was not embalmed because well, had, you know why? Because he had already been embalmed by Mary Magdalene. Mm. She poured the ointment ooh, ooh. over his feet. Don't other gospel accounts having the women going to embalm him though? Absolutely, but that but I think the reason why Matthew omits the embalming is the burial, the, the sense of the burial is because um, he's already been embalmed. And, That's interesting. And which gets us into the contrast of the money. That's why I was focused on yeah. this idea I, of the I money. See. That's fascinating. And how how um, how the 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 kind of dynamic contrast between the expense for his burial done while he was still alive, yeah. and then the price that was put on a gourd slave. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. So I'm struck by Joseph of Arimathea for some reason. I mentioned him before. Okay. Because he's just he's he's sort of this kind of forgotten hero of the Gospels, isn't he? Like we don't know much about him. Do you, do you know what we do know about? I, I think it's speculative, but do you know what we know about him? 
Um, you know, I do know. Because we know his, one the, thing, aside from his wealth, and the, that he's from Arimathea. The, uh, he, I, we know his footwear. We do? Yeah, yeah. He wore, he wore Arimathea's. Jeez. <laughs> I know. Okay. That was a really, really bad It was a stretch. Joke. It was just a stretch. I know. You really had to pump for that. Oh, <laughs> um, yes. He's believed to be one of the Sanhedrin. Which I find fascinating. So the the priests, the 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 ju- judicial structure of the priests of Israel. What? Nike took it. Just pump it. <laughs> pump it up now. Pump it. <laughs> dude, pump up the turkey. Dude, I, remember that one? Yeah, yeah, dude. That's like it just. You just said pump it, and I just couldn't handle it. Like, dude, Nike pumps. Okay. Okay. So he's here's part of the, he could be. He's speculated to be part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, which would give him the authority to go to Pilate. Because you're like, why is this rando, who, who's, who does, where does he get the right to go to Pilate and be like, hey, can I have the body? You know, and that, which is kind of weird, unless yeah. he's a man of some standing, which already says he's wealthy. But he's believed he's actually part of the Sanhedrin, which I guess I guess what that does for me and, and the reflection. I mean, again, this is this huge, long passage. What do you take? For, what's the takeaway? You know, what do you what do you chew on? And I'm chewing on Joseph of Arimathea. <laughs> it's a weird way to put it. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm thinking about him because... We, we get into this trap of being like, well, the Jews rejected Jesus and all the Jewish li- religious leadership and they rejected Jesus and the poor downtrodden, they accepted him. And then the Gentiles, you know, we kind of have this narrative, but it's fascinating to think of, you know, the Sanhedrin. They were the ones that sort of ruled that he'd be put to death. Right. And it's kind of interesting to think about well, not all of them. Like there were some, imagine being, <laughs> imagine being Joseph of Arimathea. You're a, a man of some influence. You sit on the Sanhedrin. All of your peers, or most of them, are being like, this is ridiculous. This will destroy us. We have to kill this man. We have to end him. That is it. And imagine being the one who's like, no, I, I believe in him. Like, I, I don't agree with you all. I, I just, what would that have been like? What would it have been like to be him, to have those conversations? He's obviously not secretive necessarily about it. He's going before Pilate. He probably made his voice heard and known. What would that have been like? And I, I imagine him, I, 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 for some reason, this, this, the image keeps coming to my mind of Joseph of Arimathea, the San, a member of the Sanhedrin. He knows the scriptures. He teaches them. He is one of the most influential members of the society. And he's sitting there. He hears Jesus proclaim Psalm 22 from the cross. And I wonder if he's like, oh, I get it. I mean, it says he was a disciple of Jesus. So presumably he's been around prior to that. But I just wonder, I mean, what what is going on inside this guy? He's like, everyone thinks I'm crazy. My peers think I am a maniac or or, or a, 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 a non-Jew, or guilty of, of sinning against God's kingdom, guilty of treason against the empire, guilty of all of these things, guilty of losing my friends and my influence and my peers, and everyone thinks I am a joke, but I don't care. I'm going to give everything I have, and I just bought a new tomb, because that's gonna, which sounds like a weird thing to us, but it's probably like his, my, this is my family legacy. Like, this is how I'm going to... to be remembered and how my family will be remembered. And I'm going to give it to this guy who was killed as a criminal and who was crucified in the lowest, most humiliating form that could possibly be done to a human. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give my future, my heritage, my, um, you know, my life for him. That was for me. That was for my family. This is everything I had. This is my identity. This is my reputation. This is my job. This is my future. 
I want him to have it. Yeah. Even though he's dead. I mean, that, that's the thing. He hasn't risen from the dead yet. He's not been risen. So the fact that he makes this act of faith prior to the resurrection, Jesus being killed doesn't destroy faith for him, which you'd think, well, everybody, even if you did believe in Jesus, you're like, well, he's dead now. That's that. Even the, you know, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're like, well, we had hoped. Yeah. We used to believe this, but we don't anymore. Not this guy, though. He Not made, this he's, guy. He's in it. He's in it. And what is his theological reasoning to still believe? I'm fascinated by it. Did he know? Did he suspect? Maybe he will raise, rise from the dead. It keeps talking about three days. He prophesied three days. And you always see this three days, which is just so ubiquitous for us as Christians. We're like, oh, three days in the tomb. Yeah, we get it. But in, in the Roman world, in the Jewish world, to be dead for three days meant you could be dead. declared legally dead. You're dead after that time. And this Joseph of Arimathea, whatever he, he actually believes about Jesus, he's like, put the stone over. I, I, I think about that scene. Roll the, I'm going to roll the gigantic stone over this. And I wonder if there's something in him like, I want to see what's going to happen. I believe. I believe that Jesus can overcome this huge stone. And all of a sudden that stone for me becomes what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, this weight of sin and abandonment and despair and heaviness. Roll it over the tomb. And finality. Finality. And then the women show up in John's gospel, right? And they're like, who will roll away the stone for us? Who's going to take away the burden for us? Who will lift this heavy weight for us? Oh, it's gone. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any answers there, but I just, there's something striking about the faith of Joseph of Arimathea. And then he's kind of forgotten to history. He's just kind of a name that we pass over on Palm Sunday. But there's something about him and what he was willing to risk and give up and sacrifice and face shame and humiliation for, despite not seeing how this story was going to end, that really makes me want to think about him for the next week or two. Yeah. So. Whew. Good good stuff, Maynard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry your mom blew up. Sorry your mom blew up, Riggy. Oh, mm-hmm. you guys, thanks for joining us. That was, dude, Scott, that was really powerful. Um, and it's like uh, a stone, dude. I hope you guys um wear the right shoes, and if you don't, then may the you um <laughs> enjoy the cross of the Lord as you listen to His passion. So, um, have a, have a holy, holy week. Yes, <laughs> and keep it real. We hey. love you guys. Oh, by the way, for those of you who are interested, we are having a hundred thousand dollar match at St. Thomas Aquinas until Easter. Um, so if you go to uh, Faith Direct, if you go to thomascenter.org and go to our donate button, if you go there, um, I just really encourage you. It would be a profound gift to this ministry, and it would help support this podcast. Yes. It would help um, support all of the beautiful face-to-face incarnational evangelization yeah. that we are doing. $100,000 has been generously offered uh, as a match, and it would mean the world to us. We have a we have a good ways to go, so your generosity can know no bounds. And we ask you because we really do consider you a part of this ministry. Yes. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be able to do this without all of you. And it's really fun to be able to tell people and to think about the fact that the ministry of St. Thomas Aquinas reaches far beyond the city limits of Boulder, all across the world. And that's that's really heartening for us. From Kazakhstan you, to the Philippines to Ireland to South America. To Dubuque. To Newark. <laughs> nice. 
But you do help carry on this ministry, and so we're grateful for you. And know that we pray for you constantly, and we hope that you pray for us. And if you feel so moved, please help us out financially as well. Yes, please. So, Love you. Bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.